First Peter chapter 3. I want to talk to you tonight about seeing the end of the Lord. First Peter chapter 3. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? No fancy rituals, just some serious ones. First Peter chapter 3. Verse 17. 1 Peter 3.17 says this, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> it's better to get in trouble for doing something right than doing something wrong. Look at chapter 5 in 1 Peter, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. But the God of all grace, 1 Peter 5.10, but the God of all grace, who hath called us into His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Now, a little child, a young child was playing rounders. He was part of a team playing rounders and was cheering his team on from the sidelines in spite of the fact that the score was 20 to nothing. <laughs> One of the parents on the sidelines heard him shouting, Yay, go team! And he asked him how he could be so positive when his team had such a bad score. The little boy replied back, Shucks, mister, we haven't even been to bat yet. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Do not ever forget that being a Christian does not mean that you're protected from suffering and from losing. Jesus didn't come to save our lives on the outside. He came us to save our souls on the inside. All throughout history, let's see if I'm missing something. Uh, all throughout history, Christians have had to suffer great trials of their faith. With health problems, the loss of children, loss of jobs, persecutions, abandonment, poverty, war, and on and on the list goes. And as Christians, it's important when going through the trials of life to keep your attention not on the present affliction. What is it we normally look at? The trial. The problem. But instead, look at the end that God has in mind. Seeing the end of the Lord. A lone piece of pottery in a kiln. Now, my mom had a craft store and she made pottery. She taught me how to fashion different things and make things out of pottery. But what was amazing to me is she would take that piece of dried clay, once it had dried, she would have me paint it with a glaze, with a special type of paint, and then she opened up this door to a what was called a kiln. It was a fiery furnace. And she would take these pieces, including mine, and would put it in there and would close the door and then set a heat heater on and a timer, and hours would go by. And then she would come there and the timer had gone off and it had cooled and she would open it up and out came the most beautiful. I was looking at it, it was just a piece of dirt when I put it in. But it was a beautiful glazed vase or cup or pitcher. But a lone piece of pottery in the furnace can feel abandoned at times in that heat. But then comes the end. When the potter takes it from the fires and reveals it to be a vessel unto honor ready for the, for the master's use. 
Now, Job, just like Abraham and a lot of people throughout the Bible, had strong faith. Where he was able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's strong. Amen? That's confidence. But he also had a weak flesh that asked at least three times, why didn't I die from the womb? Why did I have to live? You ever teeter-tottered? You ever flipped back and forth? Yes, God's good. God's going to get me through this. Oh, I'm going to die. This is the worst ever. Amen. So when you go through a variety of miseries, it is not uncommon for God's people to teeter-totter between their flesh and their faith. But be sure, your faith's going to win. At the end of the Christian's life, Sorry, at the end, let me say it this way. At the end, for the Christian, usually at the end of life, but it may be the rapture, it'll be worth everything. The end is going to be worth it all. Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Whatever we may have to go through, the end will be worth it all. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And again, Paul was a Texan. Don't you laugh. For I reckon, he just came off the 400-acre field. Anyway, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, did he suffer, yes or no? Of course he did. For I reckon, I calculate, I add it all up, and I come to the conclusion that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us in the end. That's a good verse, isn't it? That's a great verse. Um, let's learn how to endure suffering. Not that I know what I'm talking about, but what I want to do and what I want to learn. Let's learn how to endure the suffering that's so common in the Christian life so we don't miss the best part, which is the end. Amen. Father, now we've, we've already had a great time singing and of reflection. Now may you have a time in our heart of encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. How to be happy while enduring. What a, what a crazy title. I mean, how to be happy while you're being beat up. <laughs> how to be happy when you lose your job. How to be happy when everything falls apart. That's just not what you want to really focus on and really say, I've got it under control. No, but it is a reality that you can be happy. Let's go to James chapter 5 where we will spend our time. James chapter 5 in verse 7. I'll show you five things that you need to do so that you are patient, so that you endure in times of suffering. James chapter 5 and verse 7. The first thing you need to do is you need to focus on the second coming. I'm just going to read chapter 5, starting in verse 7. We'll read all the way down to verse 12, and then we'll go back through these things. Chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, we'd say the farmer, the gardener. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Verse 8, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another. Brethren, lest ye be condemned. 
Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them. Please tell me the next word. We count them. We can actually conclude them happy which what? So now you see my title, How to Be Happy Though You're Enduring. We count them happy which endure, and ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful. Now, we don't like that word pitiful because we usually misuse that. Oh, I pity you. It's such a demeaning, such a derogatory term, but pity in the Bible means having compassion. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But of all, but above all things, he's concluding the thought here, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. So five things he gives there, whether you notice them or not, I kind of want to bring them out. The first thing, if you want to be happy during your endurance, get your eyes off of your problem, and on to the second coming. On to the fact that he's coming back. Remember, James is writing to the poorest of the poor. These were believers in the first century that had no welfare. They were abandoned by their and rejected by their family for turning their backs on, whether they were Gentiles, turning their backs on the pagan gods, or they were Jews turning their backs on the Old Testament God in their mind. And so anybody who's a Christian usually was starving, usually had no one that cared about them. And James and First Peter was written to encourage them. So he tells them to be like a farmer. A farmer takes a very long time. You've ever seen a field? I'm not talking about an acre, but let's say 50 acres of ground. If you're going to plow that with a mule or a cow, not a tractor. I mean, I've seen some 2017 tractors that make a Ferrari envious. These guys had to plow by the sweat of their brow by, listen, that mule may move, but you're moving the mule. (laughs) And they plowed and they worked tirelessly preparing that field. Then a farmer would plant with a lot of seed. And then he waits. And most crops don't just instantly pop up, do they? He has to wait for those crops. But one thing that a farmer knows, just like a gardener, there's going to be fruit, amen? Or you wouldn't plant, would you? If you didn't believe there's going to be fruit. So that's why he goes to the farmer and he says, a farmer plants in hope. Yes, he works. Yes, he does everything. And then he sits back and he goes, there's nothing more you can do. You have to wait. And here the disciples throughout the then known world at that time, with all the religious persecution, with all the oppression by the rich people, still going on, by the way, he says, be like a farmer. You live your life and you wait for the results. You wait for the, for the, the harvest when Jesus returns. And he talks about the rains because in Israel, it only rained two big times of the year. You had one at the beginning of planting season and one at the end at the time of harvest. And, and, and a farmer realizes he needs both rains in order to have his crop and If it doesn't rain, boy, you're doomed. So James is saying, guys, the rains will come because the Lord will make sure of it in your life. So be like a farmer. Knowing that the Lord is coming again will help you become patient. 
I can't explain it. I just know it gets my eyes off of my pitiful, hurting, disaster of a problem. And I look unto the Lord and I go, even so, come Lord Jesus. You know who wrote those words that, that I just quoted? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Who wrote that? Nope, not Paul. John. You know where he wrote it from? A penal colony, a prison island. After tradition says that he had been, that they had tried to boil him alive. I can't imagine the state of his skin. I can't imagine his health. I don't know what he was like. But you know, when he got to see the future, he says, can't wait. (laughs) Bring it on. Because there was nothing in this world he was looking forward to. He was looking forward to that world. Are you Are you with me? That helps you. It forces you to wait. When you realize that's what we're waiting for, You don't wait for God to get you out of your problem now. You don't wait for God to rush and fix your scenario. You wait for him to come back. And that moves the the direction and the timing. You know, you need to know that he is coming. He's coming back. It must have been wonderful for the few people in, in, in the beginning of the Gospels that were looking for Jesus. They expected him. We know of three of them, at least three, they were called the wise men. Now, most everybody wasn't looking for, but these men, when they met Jesus and they saw the baby Jesus in the house, they said, now he's here. They were looking for him. They were looking forward to him. must have been something. You can have the same joy knowing, all right, they expected him to come the first time. I get to expect him to come back the second time. He's coming. And according to John chapter 14, the Bible says, if I go, I will prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come and get you myself. I like that. I'm not going to deal with Peter at the gate. I'm going to meet Jesus face to face. Hallelujah. Amen. Folks, he's going to judge all your enemies. He's going to take care of all your oppressors and all your persecutors. Amen. Amen. Let him deal with them. Let him deal with it. Christians throughout history have not had the law on their side. Now we do. You get a discipline, here, here's somebody, and Joe Soap here is a Christian, and his boss fires him because he's, he's handing out gospel tracts. He can go to, a, he can go to a, a, a solicitor and go to court and get remuneration, get things done. But Christians have, throughout history, never had the law on their side. They've had to leave it to God. You willing to do that? That'll make you happy. Because you'll realize, God will get them. <laughs> Focus on the second coming. It'll help you be patient. Secondly, Grudge not. You ever had a truth in the Bible that you wish wasn't in there? I hit it all the time. (laughs) Grudge not. Look at verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be what? All right. Look at chapter 1, verse 26. James chapter 1 and verse 26. If any man among you seemeth to be religious, seem to be doing good things, seem to be spiritual, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is what? Wow. So, what am I supposed to really work at trying to control? This thing right here. My tongue. Don't laugh. Not so easy. 
usually you're not responsible for all of the troubles going against you. Usually you're, you're not responsible. I mean, it just comes. You wake up in the morning, wham, where it just comes out of nowhere. But no matter what comes into your life, you are responsible for how you react to it. The meaning of grudge is to be discontented at another's enjoyment or their advantages. It means to envy the possession or the happiness of someone else. They don't seem to be having trouble like you do. Their marriage is so perfect. Come on, some of you are scared to say amen. Oh, their kids, they just seem to obey. Oh, look, he's had a job for 25 years. He's in the management. He's just going up and up. I can't keep a job more than nine months. Grudging. It means uh, to murmur, complain, find fault with, to constantly criticize and demean someone else because you think... You deserve what they've got, and they don't deserve what they've got, as far as being good. And it's an actual reaction of suffering. When you are suffering, you know what you're first going to do? I don't deserve this. How come she's not suffering? <laughs> Isn't that what, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, they're going to take you by the hand, they're going to take you where you don't want to go, signifying by what death he was going to die. And what was Peter's first reaction to the to the implication that Peter was going to suffer? What about John? <laughs> so don't think that you're super spiritual. Even Peter started begrudging John. And that's why Jesus turned the table and said, if I want him to just hang around until I come back, what is that to you? Don't you worry about anybody else. Follow thou me. So grudge not. You want, you want to know why most of us have no joy? Because we're spending all of our energy on complaining. Gotta stop it. Gotta stop. I can't stop it. I know. I know. It just comes naturally, doesn't it? To complain. To, to, to judge everything is wrong in your life. We sang it there. I should have held the song, whichever it was, either the first or the second song where it says, I'm going to paraphrase because I remember how it said it in the hymn that both the good times and the bad come from above. He's the one that bring it in your life when you're going through the trial. So when you start grudging, who are you blaming? You got to focus on it. Because look at what he says there in verse, uh, where am I? Oh, I'm back. Chapter one, chapter five. <laughs> Verse 9, grudge ye not one against another, brethren, lest ye be what? So it's serious. It is so serious. It is such a fundamental sin that is present in every heart of every Christian that he wrote chapters in the Old Testament showing God chastening his people when they complained, when they murmured, when they said, we loathe this light bread. Remember that? I mean, wow. In the wilderness, desert, no rain, no crops, and breakfast every morning. Provided for you. And what'd they do? I'm sick of it. The Lord said, <laughs> it's serious, isn't it? I bet you don't complain. Do you? 
<laughs> Grudge not. Jesus is coming back to this world for to judge so many sins. Don't make it so that he has to deal with you. Ouch. Ouch. So, so what do we do? We'll replace those grudges and complaints with a river of praise. I made up that phrase. Doesn't sound good. <laughs> it ought to just pour out of your mouth and settle all of the... I mean, we are good at complaining. I mean, can we rattle off the problems? We'll make it a river of praise. You just thank God for everything. Thank God, yeah. I mean, for everything. Thank God for Mondays. Thank God for trials. Thank God for for headaches. Thank God for heartaches. Thank God for for troubles and suffering. Why? Because I don't want to grudge. Because I don't want to get caught under the chastening hand of God for missing the ability to have joy. Because there is joy in praise. There is no joy in grudging. Amen? Third, learn from the suffering of the prophets. Verse 10, he goes on, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Somebody name me a prophet. Jeremiah, was was he a happy prophet? No. Put before the word Jeremiah, put suffering, weeping, discouraged. Name me another prophet. Okay, here we go deep and go Ezekiel here. <laughs> but Ezekiel, one day he wakes up and the Lord says, um, Ezekiel, I got bad news for you. But the, but the delight of your life is his wife has to die today. And don't you dare let yourself lose control. I want you to get dressed. I want you to go out and preach what I bid you. What a hard thing. He had to deal with the fact that his wife was going to die that day and he had to go out and preach. Suffer. I couldn't handle it. The Lord said, I gotta take your kid, I gotta take your wife. Take my life, not anybody I know, amen. Ezekiel suffered. Ezekiel had to go out and lay out in the middle of the road almost naked for 300 days. Patient. He had to suffer, putting up with people, walking over him, laughing at him, spitting at him, mocking him. He was an illustration. He was, God had him do that to show how they didn't, they didn't care what God said. Didn't care if God tried to put an obstacle in their way, that God was trying to get their attention. They just mock and walk on. And through it all, it wasn't spectacular. He had no, no flashy lights. He had no PowerPoint to be able to explain his message. He just had to sit there and suffer. This is Ezekiel. Another one. Another one. What kind of suffering did Hosea have to go through? He was the one that, with the wife that he was told, go marry a harlot. And then when the harlot left and went back to harlotry, go back and get her. Would that be suffering? All right, so we can list all the prophets. And what does James say? Consider the suffering of the prophets. Now, somebody gets, I think I get to do the greatest ministry, the greatest job in the world. I get to preach the word of God. I get to tell people of the gospel. I get to encourage people to follow Jesus Christ. The prophets preached the word of God. They pointed to the Messiah. 
They had the greatest ministry above being a king, of being a Tishak, a prime minister, a president. And yet how were they received? They were hated, they were persecuted, they were hunted, and they were killed. Take the prophets as an example of suffering. Ouch. Doesn't match the televangelists, does it? Doesn't match the lifestyle of the prosperity gospel preachers, does it? That's why I encourage you, turn them off. Because it's a false gospel. It's a false hope, folks. If you're going to follow Christ, all they that will live godly shall suffer. Learn from the prophets. We're so quick to not read our Bible with both eyes. What do I mean by that? We'll read, but we won't really see they're going through it. And they kept going. You'll never find the complaining, the giving out, like we do. Now, sometimes they do. Elijah did. <laughs> Elijah had enough, and he says, I've been very jealous for you, and you've done nothing for me. He was really upset. But most of the time, you find them putting up with it. Amen? If you want joy, watch people who've gone through suffering. You ought to, I think every kid in this room, every kid in secondary school ought to be taken to the hospital and walked through the cancer ward. And sat down in front of kids who have no hair, who have permanent ports and, and tubes in their nose and in their ears, and, and they, they get constant chemotherapy and radiation, and they, they have no strength, they, they barely can walk, they're down to bones, and they ought to be just sat there and said, that's life. And that's suffering. And if you don't have a PlayStation X, and if you don't have your way, and if you don't have everything that you want, and if there's nothing happy in your life, you're still a lot better off. And with nothing, you can have joy. You can have joy. They need a a good dose of reality because everyone I'm thinking is never going to happen to them. Learn from the prophets. Look at them and say, you know what? They're living right, and they had to pay for it. No good deed will go unpunished. You ever heard that? <laughs> Learn from the prophets. Remember Job, verse 11 goes on and he says this. He says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. And when you look at Job, you actually get to see the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. I, I, I can't tell you how, uh, how deep Job is. When I first got saved, I don't know why, but I gravitated to the book of Job and I devoured it. I hand copied out the book of Job into my own notebook. I hand copied every verse. I did that with a lot of the New Testament, ultimately. A lot of the Bible and the New Testament. But but I love the book of Job. Because the example of the book of Job is the most extreme example you could ever imagine. He had sowed so much good throughout his life. And then he had complete loss of everything. He had such indescribable sorrow where he went out to an ash heap where you take, you take the rubbish from your house and you place it on the ash heap and you burn it there. And when you burn it there, it, it, it just, it just piled all these ashes on. And that's how low he felt when he sat on that ash heap. 
and his body was covered from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet and he, with, with boils that were bursting open or they were aching to be burst. And he would take a broken pottery piece and he would scrape his skin. There's no way to describe other than you have such pain that that is the only way to have a different pain than the pain that he was experiencing with those boils. And he sat there and he waited. His wife didn't try to encourage him. His three friends didn't even try to encourage him. The Bible says, take Job for an example. We count them happy which endure. Not that I'm in, listen, Job didn't have a joyous moment from the time he lost his children all the way through to the end of the book. He didn't have a single joyous moment. But you know what he did? He endured. And the end brought such happiness that now he didn't have Romans 8.28, did he? We know that all things work together for good. He didn't have Romans 8.28 to read. He didn't have anything to read. All he knew was there's a God in heaven and he sure is doing things I don't understand. So in his life, we have a, we can, we have a way to go, so it's the end I focus on, not the now. I'll show you some verses. Proverbs chapter 23. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 18. Start in verse 17. Proverbs 23, 17. Let not thine heart envy sinners. That's grudging. But be thou in the fear of the Lord all day long, for surely, it's guaranteed, there is an end. <laughs> what are you going through? It's the worst thing in the world. There will be an end. And thine expectation shall not be cut off. It's going to be good. Amen. Look at Psalm 34. Go back to the left, find Psalm 34, 19. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the blessings of the righteous. Is that what it says? That's what we want it to say. <laughs> Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him, delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. He'll take care of you. Look at chapter 37, verse 37. 37, 37. Mark the perfect man. To hold the upright man, for the end of that man is what? Now, you may meet him on a bad day and he's really low. But the end of that man's life is going to be what? Happy, at peace. Jeremiah 29, to the right. Jeremiah chapter 29, in verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a what kind of an end? An expected end. A good end. One more. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Actually, there's two more, but Mark chapter 10, verse 28. 
<clears throat> Mark 10, 28. And Peter began to <clears throat> say unto him, Lo, look here, Lord, we have left all and have followed thee. We've lost everything. Verse 29, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now. Amen. God will take care of you now. But if he doesn't, in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Say, I'm lo- I've lost a lot trying to follow the Lord. Well, the Lord will pay you back. And you know what? I found that usually you end up better off as a Christian than you would if you weren't saved. You know, whatever I lose, whenever I lost a friend, when I became a Christian, I lost a friend, God gave me three better ones. Now, they may not have been as fancy or as wealthy or as good-looking as my original friend, but they were a whole lot better. Let me say, if the Lord doesn't do anything for you now, He will do something for you one day. Remember Job that the end will make everything worthwhile. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Back and forth, I know, but stay with me. Ecclesiastes, after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8. Two words to circle in this verse. Better is the, circle that word, end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the, what's that next word? And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Amen. Remember Joe, he learned that. God made everything better in the end, didn't he? You know, Job lost 10 children, he got 10 more. Job lost 3,000 set of cattle here, and he got 6,000 back afterwards. What does the Lord teach him? It's going to be better in the end than you can imagine. How are you going to encourage yourself to endure when you're going through the valley? How are you going to encourage yourself and be happy when the devil's robbed you and pulled out from you everything you thought that was important to life and you have nothing left? No, and the Lord's going to make it up to you. That's the only way you're going to do it. Lastly, refuse to quit. Go back to James chapter 5. And i got to quit this, but I'm going to refuse to quit. James chapter 5. Is one of those misunderstood verses in the Bible. The context here is suffering, isn't it? Amen. What's a vow? What's a swearing got to do with suffering? Let me show you. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, lest ye fall. Again, that's that word, just like grudging, but you fall into condemnation. What's he talking about? It is the context of swearing in relation to the believer's desire to swear off God. Watch. It's very common. Have you not done it? When you have been dropped into a fiery furnace and everything is going wrong and you're tempted to say, I swear it, I swear it, I'm quitting. You've not been tempted to go that far? That's what he's talking about. Don't do it. You said you're going to stay to the to the will of God, and you're going to stay to it. Let your yea be yea. Just finish the course. 
because there's no... The only purpose for swearing and suffering is to swear off God. To say, I swear, God, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to follow you anymore. Don't do it. Because the devil wants you. That's how he wins. If he can get you to turn your back on God. Remember Job's wife. What did she do? Just curse God and die. And Job said, we'll not do it. I'm not going to do it. He's been faithful to me. Shall we not receive both blessings and troubles? You know, when you, this kind of swearing is where the devil gets you to think that this is how you're going to hurt God. I swear, I swear that, that I, that, that I'm just going to quit knowing that this will hurt God as much as he's hurting me. It's very common, even among believers. But folks, it'll only make things worse. Don't open your mouth and say something rashly when you're going through sorrow. Don't swear on anything. Don't see what you're doing is you're saying, I used to follow God and now I'm never following God again. That's the swearing. Stay the course. Finish the will of God. In spite of all the afflictions, the long waiting, all the losses and the enduring, be patient. And you discover that the end will be better than you could ever imagine. So let's see if you remember. Now, you may never get like this in your enduring. But you know, you at least can be in the place where you can start to be there by doing these five things. Focus on what? What's the first thing you got to focus on instead of your trial? The second coming of Christ. Secondly, oh, wrong direction. What not? Grudge not. Third, Learn from the lives of the prophets. Remember Job. Fifthly, refuse to what? Amen. Amen. You know, a runner who stays in the race rejoices at the end because they finished the race. A lot of Christians sure do quit these days. You know what heaven's going to be? A lot of regret. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Biblical faith is going to win out in the end, no matter how long that wait may be. In the end for the Christian will be worth everything. And if we will but patiently wait, we'll see that the Lord is and always has been very pitiful and of tender mercy in our lives. Father, we just come before you asking you to make us aware of these five things that next time we're dumped in that fiery furnace, next time we feel abandoned, things aren't working out, may we look unto Jesus and remember he's coming again. May we stop our tongue from complaining and finding fault with everyone else and with everything else because we're going through it. Lord, may we learn that even the best of your people in the Bible have suffered. But why do I think I have to be an exception? Let me not fight your will. Let me remember Job, a better man than me. And as he teetered and tottered between his faith and his flesh, let me learn that I can stay the course if I just refuse to quit. Because you're worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.